Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. You're only getting one episode this week, so um, you're welcome. I don't know. Anyway, I'm Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about today's comics, uh, the DC comics that were released on uh, November twenty second, twenty seventeen. And uh, if you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, go read your books, and come back to us because we're going to spoil some stuff. This is the first uh, episode in a few months. Where we don't have a book club, we don't have a, uh, a major comic starting, we don't have a movie to review, we're just going to talk about comics. So, um, yeah, this is a, a bit of a throwback show for us, but this is going to be fun, I think. And so we're going to start with Action Comics number 992. This is the fallout of the Mr. Oz story. It is plotted by Dan Jurgens. it is scripted by Rob Williams, and it is illustrated by Will Conrad. Boys, what did you think of this issue? It was better than the the um, arc that preceded it. Yeah, I'll say this is the best Rob Williams DC book since Martian Manhunter. Yeah, I agree. And I think... I think this is something we've kind of hinted at, but I, I think what we want ultimately is Dan Jurgens to be involved in Superman's plot, but then to have somebody else script it. Yeah, because because Jurgens can kind of get hokey and old fashioned sometimes. Sorry, Dan. Um, whereas I think Rob Williams, yeah, this is one of the best scripts he's he's written at DC so far, and. Um, it was because it avoided some of the goofy stuff that Jurgen sometimes does. So I, I, I really liked this mix. I thought it was really nice. And I thought Will Conrad's art was, was pretty good too. Um, yeah. great, great at times. In fact, and, yeah. uh, I'm a big fan of his. So this... I've been really down on him between like the captain Adam stuff and the, um, cyborg stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if it was a different colorist because I think our complaint was that, his stuff look has looked really muddy and and kind of dark and this I don't think you could say that about this. Right, right. Sort of like hyper realistic at times. Yeah. Whereas this, at like sometimes the facial features look more uh, like it's going for more realism, but the the movements feel more animated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's less posy. I think a good analog is like when when Eddie Barrows is doing really good work. Yeah. This reminds me a lot of, of Barrows sort of style. Like there, there's a, there's a, there's a panel here where it's like a low shot looking up at uh, Clark and Bruce and they've got their, like Bruce has his cowl off and Superman's holding something. It's on page. Uh, I see it. I, yeah. Well, I don't know what, yeah. Page seven or something like that. That to me looks like a Barrows panel and i really like barrows so if conrad is like whatever was going on with conrad's art on things like uh that captain adam book you know if that's kind of fixed now i'm i'd be really excited to see him doing regular work around the dcu yeah uh this issue had a lot of what i want in a uh in a superman comic 
I liked Bruce essentially checking in on Superman. I, I, I liked their friendship when they're when they're actually friends. I, I dug that. I thought the stuff with Lois and John on the Daily Planet was all really good. Yeah, that felt the most Jurgensy though. Like, oh, absolutely. Perry, Perry White's going to get mad, and then Lois is going to explain to him a basic thing about journalism, and Perry's going to like buy it, but not entirely. You know, it just seemed like a very Jurgens <laughs> misunderstanding type plot. You know. Yeah, I I, I could see that. Um, but overall, you know, and then. I, I really like the stuff with Hal Jordan here also. I think it's a little bit silly that they're like good to see each other when over in Superman they were just hanging out five minutes ago, but that's, you know, that's it's just... always It's always good to see each other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I just, I, I felt like a lot of this issue was, was sort of Superman's supporting cast slash fellow DC characters really caring about him. And that is the least New 52 thing that there, that there could be. And so I really enjoyed that stuff. Yeah. Also, Superman using the cosmic treadmill. Well, yeah, we'll get to that in a second. That was that was super dope. Um, Zach, what did you th- I feel like you're being quiet about this. I mean, I don't have much to say outside of what you guys have already said. I, I pretty much agree with you. Um, there's one thing I noticed... Um, and I, like we don't have to talk too much about this, but um, we've talked about like before how um, like it's very easy for artists to draw um, costume characters and make them recognizable, and um, you know they're so iconic. It's really they can be messed up, but it's generally like pretty hard for you to like look at like Superman and be like, man, that just really doesn't look like Superman. Um, but I thought that Lois in this, I was like. I read this and I and I thought, what what Lois is this going for? Because this really doesn't look like any Lois that I've ever really seen. You know, this just looks like a this just looks like a a this could be like any character. You know, it's only her proximity to to Clark here that clues you in. Like, oh, this is Lois. Did you guys? Notice that at all, or did you think that? I think that's kind of how Lois always looks. Not, not, not like, not that she always physically looks like this, but I think what you just said is is very apt. Like you know, she just like isn't very well defined, right? So you know, it's just sort of you have. Like I actually think that the person who draws Lois the best, this is not going to surprise you guys, is Jorge Jimenez. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Jimenez is a really good beat on what Lois looks like. Um, but other than that, I just feel like it's always she's always a generic brown haired white woman. You're probably right. I, something about this issue just like really struck me. I think because it was just, she looked very unlike my idea of Lois. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Zach. I, I've, I've said I think not that long ago I said Jurgens draws a Lois that I. Yeah, that was that uh, was last episode. I think maybe. Yeah, I associate. Yeah. I associate. Uh, when I think of Lois Lane, if I don't think of of uh, you know any of the movie ones or, or TV ones, I think of Dan Jurgens. Like if I'm looking at a drawing, I'm thinking Dan Jurgens Lois. But so I think you're right. I think most artists just do like a generic looking white lady. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I wonder if if there's. I wonder if there are subtle things you could do to better. Um, 
differentiate Lois. But again, I mean, I feel like we even say this all the time about like the Bat Family. Like you know, in Joel Jones, we all like. We said you know two weeks ago, whatever it was that uh, that like her Dick and Jason and Damien were not all that well defined. They were just like young white kids or young white mm. adults, whatever. I feel like just pulling these characters out of costume really does hurt your ability to make to make them appear um, consistent throughout. It's only the people who have like very well defined looks, like Clark Kent wearing a suit that's a little bit too big for him and glasses. You know, you always know that's Clark Kent because of the glasses. Um, and for a while, Jurgens was drawing Lois with those, like, big dark sunglasses. And maybe that was an attempt at giving her a, a visual style you could point out. I don't know. You're not wrong, Zach. Yeah. I, I think it's, like, an interesting, bigger conversation to have about um, comics in general and... And uh, kind of how these characters are made iconic and, and how, when you choose or choose not to follow up on that. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, so let's talk about the Cosmic Treadmill. So Superman essentially... Oh, we, we have to say here that uh, because of his trip to, to, um, to Mogo, I was going to say to Oa, but that's no longer a thing, to Mogo, um, Clark realizes that Somebody has indeed messed with time that the destruction of Krypton is no longer able to be viewed. And so he wants to go back in time to before Krypton was destroyed and sort of figure out what's going on here. So he goes to the Watchtower and gets on the Cosmic Treadmill. And right as he has passed through time, uh, Booster Gold and Skeets show up. And Skeet says, It appears, Booster, we have arrived a second too late, and Superman has already left for the past via the time stream. Now the timeline itself is in danger of total collapse. And Booster says, Oops. And, uh... I loved this. I knew it was coming, I still loved it. Yeah. Um... I'm actually, yeah, I'm pretty excited for this next arc. Um... Brett Booth and all. <laughs> Although I like, why isn't Jurgen strong? And I just don't understand. When was the last time Jurgens did interiors or something? That's what I'm trying to think. Like, I there there was a new Fifty Two issue of something where it was a Lois Lane story, and he drew it. That that I think that's the last time. He was. Wasn't he with Keith Giffen on Superman for a bit? He, I'm um, not sure. I think so. I oh, that Superman book had so many creator changes. Well, yeah, because it started off as Perez, and then it was definitely Giffen and someone else, and then it was Lobdell. Yeah. And then it was Jeff Johns. Yes. And then Greg Pop. And, and then I think, wasn't there even someone else for like a hot second too? You might be thinking of Andy Diggle taking over action, which didn't actually happen. No, I'm trying to think, because like I thought, um, I thought Lobdell's run ended around like issue 20, 
No, I guess maybe that's right. Maybe it did go all the way up because like John started with thirty, thirty-one or thirty-two, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that maybe there was someone else between Labdell and John's, but maybe Labdell did go all the way. He went all the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it would be great if Jurgens drew this, but alas. Any other action thoughts? We're getting um, very close to a thousand. We are. Yeah, fact, this it should be the next solicit. Yeah, I was right? going to say the, solicits. the next batch of solicits should do it. Yeah. Didn't those solicits come out the other day? February. No, that, day. that's February. Yeah. Oh, there was something about. Hang on. First that of all, was we... the that was the hardcover. Oh, okay. That's not the same thing. Uh huh. It's funny because they call it uh, Action One Thousand. No, there, there is Action One Thousand is a hardcover. Oh, does that actually have the issue in it? I thought that was like there's like an anniversary thing that's coming out that is an art hardcover with like stories and art and stuff in it. I so believe, they're two separate things. I don't know about that. I thought because it was the, these most current solicitations for February have Action Comics number one thousand eighty years of Superman hardcover. Yeah. The new, oh, the new like hard. A... Okay, hold on. The new hardcover serves as a companion yeah. to the Action Comics number one thousand comic book okay. March. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. comes out of my birthday. Happy birthday to me. Ooh. Um. Yeah. Booster's back. He's good again. Ow! Although I do have to say, our hopes have been dashed a little bit because Mark Wade was just announced on the new Captain America arc starting in March. Well, yeah, but I thought that was that's that's still a given. Like yeah. I thought he was like supposed to go up until like maybe seven hundred or beyond, right? Okay, and there then Tonahesi Coates is supposed to take off over, is how the rumor goes. Okay, okay, we're we're holding out hope, baby. We are. Got to hold on hope to quote uh, "Guided by Voices." All right. <laughs> That brings us to Batgirl, number 17, written by Hope Larson, illustrated by Chris Wildgoose. And, guys, this comic is so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Everything about this issue was perfect. Yeah, it really was. I thought it was weird having Babs uh, go... Uh, ape shit on you stole my bit you stole my bit (laughs) what you don't remember when mo kills the original alpha alpha in the simpsons (laughs) i I knew that was from something i just couldn't remember yeah mo like violently kills the original alpha alpha (laughs) that's right uh yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. But I, thought, I, you know, that was a bit of a weird move. But I, but I think it was used really well in the issue. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was really well timed. It was given. A, there was a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Babs was in a bad place. She's new at this. It's yeah. Um, it was. It was. It was just really interesting. You know, you don't. You don't often see. It. It went pretty far for. For how light this book has sometimes been. Well, maybe it's not been that light. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, and then the end, the ending stuff with them like, oh god, that was so well written. Hope, Hope Larson, this the scene where uh, where she's like bad or uh, 
Babs says we're still friends, right? And Dick says, Babs, I think, I think you're my best friend. Like I, that's so real to me. <laughs> yeah, I also loved like, um, you know, obviously there has to be like a, a, a cheesy uh, comic book way to break Dick out of his like spell, and him saying you thought I was cute. Was like just a very you know just, again just a very cute <laughs> a very nice moment. But then I loved Dick using the paralyzed Bab as a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was that was really that was perfect. Everything about it said this issue was Italian chef kissing fingers emoji. Mm. <laughs> um, and like I said, that ending was really very special. And then uh, you know just the end. Of of uh, Dick saying, "I'll always be here for you, Babs, forever, no matter what." And then her saying, "Me too, Dick, no matter what." And then it's them today, which is it was just a very it was it was it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and also uh, this issue made me want the entire DCU to be redesigned by Chris Wildgoose and Joel Jones. Yep. Let, let's pick two two artists. Let's have them redesign everything. It should be those two. I get behind that. Yeah. I love how like life his uh his Nightwing is. You know, he's just so like nimble and and, and um. He moves lean. like an acrobat. Yeah, he really does. Still got I mean, that he's, ass, not the, he's not the cheesecake. <laughs> I don't know. No, you're right. Yeah I, yeah, I think that's the way that that the um, sort of teen slash young adult superheroes should be drawn. You know, yeah. I feel like a lot of times artists err on the side of making them like abnormally bulky. Yep. And, I actually yeah. just I actually just wrote up my little bit about Jorge Jimenez for our year interview, and one of the things I said was that he draws like kids that look like kids, mm-hmm. and that and that's a really important thing for me. So I agree with Wild Goose. He draws teens and young adults very very well. All hail Chris Wild Goose. All right, let's um, let's jump over to Blue Beetle number fifteen. Uh, real quickly, written by Chris Sabella, illustrated by Scott Collins. Uh, this took a really weird turn. <laughs> I did yeah. not expect there to be like either a uh, like a gang of roving uh, kids slash senior citizens, and then for it to be like an alien based thing, it was very very odd. Yeah, and also, man, like only teenagers would just like stop at a uh, an abandoned motel. Yeah, just to like just <laughs> just some uh, unsupervised snoozing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately thought of uh, if you follow Christopher Sabella on Twitter, he spent a lot of time living at a clown motel. <laughs> Yeah, I immediately thought of the clown motel he always talks about when they <laughs> when they stop there. Yeah, I I don't know. This issue didn't do much for me. This arc hasn't done much for me yet, but I, I'll say the dialogue is markedly better being written by Sabella, I think, than it has been. 
Yeah, I, I agree for sure. Yeah. Sabella is also responsible for the funniest tweet that I've ever been uh, aligned with, which was, uh, so he was on the Hour Cosmic once and then he won, and then he came on the live show that Chad and I did at Emerald City Comic Con and he won again, and immediately afterwards he tweeted out, I'm the Charles Van Doren of the Hour Cosmic. <laughs> that, that's a deep quiz show reference there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I really appreciated that, so... Sabella always gets a, a pass in my book for that reason. But no, I mean, this this arc is weird, and it's not my favorite thing, but it's so much better than than what was happening in this book. So, yeah. And this book is officially being canceled now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the solicits listed number 18 as the final issue. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so that means that uh, this and Superwoman are the first two casualties... And uh, I can't say I'm super surprised about either, but I am disappointed that I'm disappointed there's not a Jaime Reyes book out there. I'm not disappointed this book's getting canceled. Yeah. Especially because the Jaime and Ted pairing could have been so great. And I see. I feel like I would. I could read a a Chris Sabella Blue Beetle that was from the ground up, but I feel like he was also anchored by a lot of what Giffen had already done. I mean, this is just, it's an extension of the Giffen run and sort of the status quo that he's being saddled with. Yes. I feel like I could, I I would give him a chance on a new Blue Beetle from the ground up, but I don't think we're going to get that for a while, so. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, All right, well, let's jump over to Detective Comics number 969. This is written by James Tynion the Fourth, illustrated by Joe Bennett. Um, so I, ha- I have like a weird, um, very very small nitpicky question for you guys. So in this, in the first scene, we see uh, Stephanie go visit Anarchy in prison, and while she's there, she runs into Clayface, who is in prison, and then a few minutes later, Clayface is not in prison. What what's he doing there? Do we remember he's, that? He's yeah, he's visiting his friend that he's been from the victim syndicate. He like goes and sees her. But he's wearing inmate clothing. Yeah, that, uh, that is weird. Like yeah, maybe that's just a weird art thing. But I mean, that's like clearly what he's doing because he's like sitting right there with her. Right, but it's just weird that he's dressed as uh, as an inmate. Yeah, that is weird. Or he's just wearing he's just wearing an orange shirt that looks like every other orange shirt. Yeah. Um maybe when you're when you're Basil Carlo, you've got to keep a low profile. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, yeah. That is really weird. I didn't actually even notice the clothing. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> but it's also one of like many weird things with this issue that I'm sure we'll get to. Like vis- many weird many weird art things which when I got to the very end and I saw that it was Joe Bennett I was shocked. I this doesn't look like Joe Bennett to me. No, is it really? Yeah, it yeah. is. Oh, I thought it was Marguerite Bennett co-writing. I didn't even notice that. I thought know. it was that. Huh, weird. Okay. Yeah, this definitely yeah. isn't his usual style. And I don't know if that's Sal Regla's inks or something, but uh, okay, you know, Joe, I thought Joe maybe Bennett... the Regla was the artist. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That is weird. Okay. Bennett was doing a bunch of Deathstroke earlier on, and that stuff looked great. 
Yeah. Me, the, the, a lot of this was really weird. There were a lot of not nut faces, but oh, there were nut faces too. Well, yeah, <laughs> that one Stephanie Brown face that yeah. one of you texted us was, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Which can we talk about? Like, let's talk about the Stephanie Brown stuff. I'm, um, not, I'm not happy with it. It feels <laughs> weird. What part are you not happy with? Uh, partially just like the pacing of, I guess, it seems like we cover a lot of time in this issue without that really being conveyed. At some point it does say three weeks later. Oh, does it? Oh, it does say that. Okay. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, I guess that one text box (laughs) takes care of it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Vince, what don't you like about it? I just, well, it's not that I, it's not so much that I don't like it. Like, I just kind of want her connection to anarchy to sort of be severed because I like the stuff with her and Tim so much, so much more, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Steph's in limbo right now, and, and she's one of my favorite characters, and I don't really, this is a personal thing. Um, that I just want her to be part of the team, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so this, like, weird limbo between, with her, like, wa- like <laughs> hiding behind sunglasses and a cap to go visit Anarchy is just... That's not where I want to see her. So I don't have any problems with, you know, what James Tynion is doing, really. It just It's just not my preference for the character, that's all. I'm not going to get, like fanboy about it you know okay but um so another like weird artistic choice that bennett makes here uh when so after the three weeks later thing we see killer moth trying to essentially put together like a uh a union of villains of some sort a uh a crime syndicate-esque thing and we see him pull out this like manila envelope full of pictures of the various members of the Gotham Knights. Yet the picture of Batwing is the new 52 Batwing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Really weird. Just a small little thing I noticed. Um, but we get uh, we, we get Clayface being awesome again. Posing as uh, Solomon Grundy. I love seeing um, Steph and Cass together, even just very, very briefly. Um, overall, I, I the Steph stuff didn't read all that great to me. I, I, I share a lot of your reservations, boys, about this. But I think the rest of the issue, at least for me, really worked. The Tim stuff was really good. I, I, I liked all that. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. I like the new status quo for him um, coming out of Lonely Place of Living. It's good. Tim's back. He's good again. <laughs> um, I will say this. I think like the Victim Syndicate is obviously a big deal to Tynion because it was the first arc of this book, and I understand why he holds it very dear. Personally, I don't know if I ever need another Victim Syndicate story. But we'll see. Yeah. 
All right, let's talk about the new miniseries, The Demon Hell is Earth. Uh, this is the first Etrigan series in in quite some time, and um, its premise was 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 relatively interesting. I was I was a little bit surprised by this book, but it was written by Andrew Constant and illustrated by Brad Walker. What did you guys think of this issue? Uh, I actually liked it a lot more than I expected to. Me too. Me three. I, I'll say oh, the one thing I really, really don't like about it is the thing that so many miniseries do, which is that it essentially takes until the very last page, very last page or two, to get to what the general premise of the entire miniseries seems to be. Right. You know? Um, which I think is not... That that's a crime more when you're like reintroducing a character and they're not that character until the very end, you know, or right. it's a team up and they're not, uh, you know, it takes them two issues to actually get together, you know. So this wasn't so egregious. It's just that I wish it took the whole issue to kind of drag out this thing that you saw coming towards the end. Uh, other than that, I really liked like the premise is essentially that. Um, Jason Blood is kind of uh, being haunted by the demon, and he's he's making his way around uh, Death Valley and like hiding out in motels and things, and or like little shacks. And he's essentially waiting for something, and it's this like explosion that comes. It's like a rocket or something that unleashes hell, right? And then in the process of this, somehow the he calls on the demon again. The demon comes up, but then Jason's haunting him, like haunting Etrigan, mm-hmm. which I kind of, that's a cool twist. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it showed some like personality and attitude from Jason blood that you don't normally get, you know? And I liked the, the other characters having the visions. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting, interesting twist on the, on the typical Etrigan story. Yep. It felt it felt very vertigo to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I also can't read a demon story without thinking of one of my favorite tweets of the last few years. I forget who said it, but it was "Gone, gone, the form of man, rise the demon, Gene Parmesan." And uh, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Uh, rest in peace, rest of development. Yep, probably not <laughs> coming might, back now. Might not happen. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, I'll, I'll always remember the first three seasons. <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> it's at L-E-B-O-I-S-M, uh-huh. whose, uh, whose display name right now is the entire score of the HMS Pin. <laughs> really? Is this a yes. fan of our show? Come on. Uh, that, maybe, the episode yeah. hasn't been released yet, but they have to be a fan of our show, right? Yeah, no, it hasn't. What never? No, never. What never? No, never. Hardly ever. No, he's hardly ever sick at sea. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. No, I got us. On, I got us on this tangent by talking about Gene Parmesan. As is my want in life. <laughs> my favorite rest development character, hands down. Oh yeah, yeah. It's either that or Mr. Banana Grabber, 
Or baby banana grabber? <laughs> Look, a seagull. <laughs> Should have held on to those animation ones. <laughs> All right. So the demon. The demon. Good comic. Uh, I thought that, I thought it looked great. I thought Brad Walker has been a guy who's been kind of up and down for me lately, but I thought that he did a really nice job with this. Yeah, yeah. I really like Brad Walker a lot. Um, even the one time he got really mad at me on Twitter because I said that the way he drew Kyle Rayner's mask was weird, but... <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Why, why have you not told us this? Yeah, how are we just hearing about this now? It was in a, It was when he was drawing New Guardians with... Um, with Justin Jordan. Sure. And when Kyle was a White Lantern, and he had that like really weird, bulky, ovular, like very curvy mask, and I just like made a comment in one of my reviews about how it it looked weird, um, and I ended up having this like multi tweet thread with him, kind of like s- apologizing slash like defending my statement. <laughs> It was really uncomfortable. <laughs> We've all been there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. Um, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. And we'll be back in just a second. More DC3 Cast. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow and iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with Doom Patrol number nine, written by Gerard Way, illustrated by Nick Darrington. Um, guys, I love this issue. Yeah, it's really good. This, I mean, this book is very, very good. And this is another very, very good issue. I love the Italian chef kiss cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very on brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, one thing I think about Doom Patrol is I, I, I like the book. I love the book as a whole, actually. It's one of my top ten books that anyone is publishing, for sure. But I find myself... I find myself really falling in love with individual moments more so than the overall story. Uh-huh. But it's so many individual moments that it like overpowers the, you know. I don't have any negative feelings about the book because there's so many of these little moments that I just love. Like even that first page where uh Cliff is getting hit in the head mm-hmm. and there's like boxes, like it's like digitized boxes breaking through that are is like representing that his his like consciousness or vision or whatever is getting messed with by getting hit in the head. <laughs> it's such a weird effect. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. There's like weirdness in the art that that mm-hmm. conveys it conveys pain, but from a robot man. <laughs> you know, I love it. 
So one of my favorite sequences, which I, I don't really understand, <laughs> uh, which is another hallmark of this book, I guess, is where uh, Casey just starts making out with her roommate. <laughs> and then they like fall out the window and a parachute opens up. <laughs> um, I just kind of like this, like, uh, this new Casey that, like, you know, that is her name, right? It sounds wrong when I'm saying it, but her name is Casey. No, that's right. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, like, how, how ever since uh, she made love to a cat, she's now just, like, very in tune with her sexuality and uh, <laughs> explores it however she sees fit. No, that's how it happened for me. I mean, so so many of us. Yeah. Yeah. Those little love... Wisconsin nights were uh, made better by the presence of a feline. <laughs> Jesus. You went I there love... before I did. I love uh, the that the box of shit is more <laughs> like a uh, box of dishwashing detergent than it is like a box of food it's got that little like metal tab that you pull out you know yeah um just so many little details that i love about this nick darrington is doing such great work here yeah i love the mr nobody design yep um i love the design of the like weird brotherhood of the dada Mm mm-hmm the uh, the brutalist, the copyright guy. Yeah, the super, the, I can't remember his name right now. Yep. Yeah, there are so and, many uh, amazing moments in this book. Yeah, and there's a Beast Boy T-shirt. Yep. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and it's the Teen Titans Go version. Yeah. Yep. There's a character that is just the bottom half of a large man. Fifty <laughs> percent Chad. Yep, and and you know with the name like Chad, he's a large son. <laughs> he's somebody's large son. Large adult son. I love that. Nobody knows where they come from. Did they belong to someone else? Someone large. It's yeah. <laughs> great. I like how the four the four captions of the characters are: no feeling, no hiding, no pants, no problem. Yep. Yeah. Again, one of my personal tenants, um, <laughs> yes. to be sure. <laughs> but, you know, everything about this issue worked for me. It was um, so good. So, so good. Uh, real quick, I had sent an email to the boys about this earlier today, but while we're on the Young Animal Kick, if anyone here hasn't read it on his website, which is Ambarb, A-M-B-A-R-B dot com. Tom Scioli gives kind of a uh, a director's commentary on his entire superpowers run in Cave Carson, and it is absolutely worth your time to read it. It's very cool. Any other Doom Patrol stuff to uh, mention? No, I'm still loving this book. Yeah. Me too. All right, let's talk about The Flash, number 35, written by Joshua Williamson and Michael Morisi, illustrated by Pop Mon. And um, this continues the negative Flash storyline. We get a little bit more insight on why Mina is doing this. We get a little bit of uh, of Wally Barry team-up stuff. 
we also get some, as Vince uh, put out to me earlier, but I had the same thought, some really, really weird posing of a nephew and his aunt. Uh, <laughs> like they, they, they embrace in a really not uh, familial way. And I was actually thinking about this even before that panel, how Iris is just drawn very like sexualized in that scene, even though, you know, it's only her and her nephew in the scene. Uh, it's a little weird. <laughs> it's, it's very weird. Hold on, I'm trying to get to it right now to check. And then Wally says, come on, let me make you some tea. It'll help us both sleep. <sighs> what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Wally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is weird. <laughs> just bring it up with the dong tea. What was that? <laughs> I said just bring it up with the dong tea. It's from Arrested Development. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> we are back on our bullshit. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that weird art aside... I think that this issue continues the arc nicely. I don't know if I have too much to say about this issue, aside from what we said about the last time, but I feel like after a really down arc, this feels more like the Flash I enjoyed when the book started. Anything else to say about this issue? No, uh, I... Uh, yeah, no, I... I'm like kind of interested to see where this stuff is going, but also I don't know they're they're juggling a lot of plot threads, and I only kind of like half care about all of them. So it it comes in together. It comes together to something I'm kind of interested in, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's in a weird place. Uh, do we think that the murder at Iron Heights was the other CSI, or are we just being led to believe that? I, I think that was a red herring, yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. All right, well, that brings us to the Hellblazer, uh, number 16, the beginning of a new creative team and a new arc. The Bardo score, that's Bardo, no Mr. Accent on the dough. Uh, <laughs> this... Um, was written by uh, Richard Cadry, illustrated by Davide Fabri. I thought this was first of all, this is um, a a non Vertigo regular DC Rebirth comic that says shit in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have been keeping track of that sort of stuff on this show. We um, have yet 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 it censors asshole. Which is something that was uncensored in an issue of Detective Comics a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't understand DC's uh, uh, metric here, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that shit just got through the just like slipped through the cracks. Could be. I, I would wager. Yeah, that was probably supposed to be uh, some censored or something. S- some wingdings of some sort. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, th- th- this felt like very much classic Hellblazer in a way. You know, uh, it was certainly one of the least annoying Constantines we've gotten as part of Rebirth. Um, I just, I felt like this was this was a really good issue of this comic. This was, I, I think, the best issue of this book thus far. Though that's not saying all that much. 
I um, this issue, I think, and maybe I've been th- I've been thinking this for a while, but I think that there's something just like stylistically that I just like don't care about. I, I think all um, like New Fifty Two and Beyond Hellblazer comics, barring the um, the Riley Rossmo one, have just been really uninteresting visually. I think they just look really bland and generic. I can agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, one thing I'll say about this comic is, like, immediately it did that thing. It seems to be uh, Constantine's job to make fun of, like, hipsters and, <laughs> and like, uh, new agey type people. Like, doesn't that seem to be a thing that Constantine does a lot lately? Sure, yeah. <laughs> just just something that occurred to me like they had to have a guy right in the foreground that has well-groomed facial hair and a hipster haircut and of course drinking some sort of latte or something <laughs> um yeah i i guess he's just like he's just the curmudgeon yeah and uh, he happens to be in san francisco and so he has to be down in all things frisco I suppose. <laughs> right. Um, it was fine. Yeah. It, it, I, I still think, it, I think this is considerably better than the prior uh, however many issues. Um, let's talk about Just League of America, number 19, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Hugo Petrus. Um, I can't think of a comic from the same artist which looked worse than the issue before than this one and the issue before it. Like I can't believe it's the same artist doing this book. I really dislike the visuals in this issue. Um, but conversely, I liked the plot of this issue immensely more than the last issue. I can agree with that. I thought the dialogue was just, like, all around much better. Yeah. Lots of good Lobo. Yeah. yeah. Another nice um, Blue Jay reference, or uh, sighting, rather. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. I love that we got to revisit that right away after leaving the microverse. We we go right back for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of reassured me that Ray Palmer would be a thing going forward, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, I liked Black Canary using her power in an interesting way to um, to get Ryan Choi back. Mm-hmm. Lot, lots of cool bit, bits in this one. Yeah, even if visually it was kind of all over the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots of nut faces. Yeah, lots of nut faces. But also it was like a lot of, I, I feel like... Um, you know, we were talking about before sort of Lois Lane's lack of uh, of like a consistent style, and Black Canary is like forty five different people in this issue. There is <laughs> nothing consistent about her face whatsoever. Um, at one point, she's very Reese Witherspoon. At another point, she's uh, I don't know what she is, but yeah, th- there's just this issue just overall. 
I did not dig the visuals, but I really did. Like Zach said, I think this had a lot of interesting stuff happening in it, and it. Uh, I think it established a bit of the team identity that was there early on in the book, and then kind of went missing in the microverse arc. But I, I'm 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 still enjoying this. Uh, I'm still enjoying this lineup, and I think Orlando is doing some interesting things. I just hope that artistically it figures out what it's doing a little bit better. Mm. All right, let's go to the penultimate issue of the Commandy Challenge, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Walter Simonson. Uh, picking up right where the last one left off, as always, we find out that it that that leader is not really Commandy's mother; it's just a robot pretending to be Commandy's mother which feels like exactly what you'd expect from this book at this point, <laughs> which is the, the, these cliffhangers rarely do the thing that they're saying they're going to do. Um, yeah. What did you guys think about this? Um, uh, the art was really, really good. Uh, but I, I could probably, like, the plot, I just... I, I, I really... It's hard to care about what's going on in this book at this point, I think. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, I agree. I, I took this as an uh, opportunity to watch uh, Walt Simonson get to do a bunch of Kirby stuff. Um, he got to draw some big Kirby spaceships and Kirby dots. and Yeah, it felt very Kirby, for sure. Very Kirby. Yeah, and there were a couple of weird. <laughs> there's a couple of panels where Commandy looks really weird, weird hair, and <laughs> really. But for the most part, it was some nice Simonson art. Very good, very good Kirby. Yeah, I, I feel like the the sort of caveat for this book, in a way, is like you're not going to give a shit about the plot, but it's going to look really great, and there's going to be a lot of like wacky stuff happening. And I think on that metric this issue more or less succeeds. But I just felt like a lot of times, like, like I felt like the gorillas were just bad gorilla grods at different points. And uh, there's only so many twists that can happen without compelling reason before you just totally stop paying attention to the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, only one more issue of that. And I forget who the final team is. Do you guys remember? Um, I do not remember, actually. I'm trying to think who was announced that we haven't seen yet. Um, Zach, you looking that up, or should I? I yeah, I can pull it up really quick. Let's okay. see. Surprise, it's Jack Kirby risen from the dead. What? Gail Simone and Ryan Sook. Oh, that's good, too. Yeah. That's a fun team. Speaking of which, have you guys seen the Ryan Sook cover for one of the Death for the uh, February Deathstroke issue? No. Yes, oh, it is so really insane. Good. It's so insane. Oh, also, also um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Oh, yeah, he's doing, like, the um, the connecting bit, right? Like, the framing device? Probably. That I, would make sense. I believe he's doing the framing device at the end of the issue. Okay. Well, let's talk about uh, Nightwing the New Order, number four, written by Kyle Higgins, illustrated by Trevor McCarthy. We get uh, the Titans of the Future. We get White Lantern Lois Lane. 
I thought she was a blue lantern. Doesn't she have the white... Doesn't she... Uh, uh, isn't that the White Lantern logo? Uh-uh. White, white Lantern, it's like a like a triangle with seven points oh, yeah, coming out white, of it. Then why is she wearing all white? <laughs> I thought she was just doing the Kyle Rayner thing where you could, where you can channel every color. Does it change? I thought it was always that one symbol the whole time. That's the blue symbol for sure. Okay. Yeah. Then, then she's just wearing white for some bizarre reason. At first, I think I, it's just like a very light shade of blue. At first, I thought it was Raven. I thought that was going to be interesting. Yeah, I did too. Like, but... on the cover, I was like, oh, cool, Raven's a Blue Lantern. Um, but, yeah, that's really, that was the one of the coolest and weirdest things about this issue. Because um, you have all these, like, grown-up titans. And then also Lois Lane, who has to be, like, older than, older than them by, like, at least 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Um, Her lantern ring keeps her young. Yeah. Hope springs eternal. Oh, there we go. There it is. Dick's uh, hair is uh Dick's hair is a problem. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Again, rest in peace, David Cassidy. <laughs> <laughs> That's some David Cassidy hair. Oh. Um, I really liked the sequence in the middle of the issue where McCarthy is, it's, it's against a white background and he's just sort of retelling Corey's story in like, uh, as like four or five panels per page. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've liked all those kind of like storybook segments. Yeah. Uh, this one works really well. Um, book still feels a little weird. But it's better than I thought it would be. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. I Yeah. I'm not a fan, but that's fine. It's grown on me. It's grown on me quite a bit. More than I expected. Um, it is interesting. Like I, I feel like we've been so uh, focused on the uh, on shipping Dip Dick and Babs over in Batgirl. That you kind of forget that for many, many years, Dick and Corey were like the preeminent couple in DC Comics. Yeah, this issue did make me, I mean, like, I have way less attachment to that, but this issue did kind of make me feel it a little bit. Mm -hmm. All right, well, let's, let's plow through Suicide Squad number 30. Let's uh, not. I do want to say one thing about it. Uh, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Philippe Briones. Um, I I didn't think it would take this long to get Rick Flagg back. Okay. <laughs> that is literally all I have to say about this issue. All right. Was he gone? I don't know. <laughs> he was in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, I know. Harley was real sad because we definitely believe that. Yeah. Um, I certainly didn't need another Rick and Morty reference in a in a DC comic. I've never seen Rick and Morty, so I don't know what reference you're talking about. Harley, at one point, Harley says, "Aw, oh, geez," to quote Morty, which oh, okay. is yeah. Oh, and she's talking about Rick Flag. Ah, oh, that's so funny. That's 
It's clever. <laughs> really selling that one, Vince. Yeah. Anything, Zach? <laughs> Not a thing. Okay. Not a single thing. All right, well, let's talk about Teen Titans, number 14, written by uh, Ben Percy, illustrated by Koi Pham. We get uh, the second or second or third part of the uh, Emmy Red Arrow teaming up with the Titans. This issue is a lot of action. There's a lot of the team like jumping to and doing stuff, which uh, makes it a little bit hard to talk about, I guess. But I thought this was a really fun issue of this book. Uh, I loved this issue. I thought this was fantastic. I thought the art was really, really good. I thought all the character, um, all the voices and interactions like really rang true. Yeah, I loved this issue. I liked it a lot. Yeah, this is such a great book. This is... Man, remember how bad Teen Titans was for like five years? Yeah. <laughs> this is so good. This is so... Even like the even the cheesy like uh, Schwarzenegger line that uh, Wally does, where he says, "I believe the sound effect you're looking for is gulp," yeah, is like perfect. It's, it's and then the stuff between him and Damien, where Damien like begrudgingly accepts him back on the team, and yeah, it's fantastic. Just awesome. Yeah. Awesome book. Fun, youthful, colorful, exciting, sometimes funny. I feel like uh, Ben Percy has really done a lot to improve his writing this past year, Mm -hmm. both in Green Arrow and here. But I feel like in Green Arrow, the concepts were always there, but the execution wasn't. Whereas I feel like with this book... The first, the first, you know, arc or two, it wasn't offensive or bad or anything. It just kind of felt, I don't know, like like I wrote Teen Titans by the numbers kind of story. And the last couple of arcs, he's really, really done fun stuff with the team. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really like this book a lot. All right, let's. Uh... I don't know what's happening here. Uh, let's uh, let's close out with Wonder Woman number thirty-five, written by James Robinson, illustrated by Emmanuel Lupicino. This is a times past issue. We get sort of the secret origin of Jason. And More like times ass. <laughs> <laughs> Boom goes the dynamite. Um, this was better than the last Times Past issue because it wasn't stuff we had literally just seen. But I don't know if I needed any of this. But also a lot of it was stuff that we had like seen or like been told already. Yeah, but last time it was like it was stuff yeah. that literally happened in the prior two issues. Right, right. Yeah. I uh I don't care for this at all. Um, it we re- we really didn't need this, any of this, in my opinion. I don't care about Jason at all. Why should I care? Why? Tell me why I should care about Jason. I think an even more important question than that, because for any new character that you 
you sort of operate under the presumption that I'm not going to care until I'm given reason to care, right? That's that's how we encounter all these new characters. But I feel like what I don't understand is the fundamental anger he feels towards his sister. Like, they have not done a good job at all of giving you a reason why he hates Wonder Woman. Yeah, no, none, none and you would, you'd think that this issue would do that. Right. Okay. Um, we if don't nothing even like, else, get to him beating Grail or anything in this issue. Yeah. If yeah. nothing else, this issue should have given you some understanding as to why he is so negative towards Diana. But nope, we get none of it. And that's a shame because Emmanuel Lupacchino is a great artist and her talents are really wasted here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We and did, uh, I'm, we didn't I'm pretty need to sure get that... one of DC's best artists drawing as an old man in his boxer shorts. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm pretty sure Jason's like uh, foster dad is modeled after Nick Cave. <laughs> uh, oh, there was there was one... <laughs> There was one panel where he really looked like somebody else. Uh, who was it? Hang on. Now i got to scroll for a couple minutes here. Um, There's, I see a Nick Cave on a different page. I see um, Sam Elliott. I saw Sam Elliott one time for sure. And there, Larry David is in this comic too as well <laughs> somewhere. Sitting there looking at the menu. It's Larry <laughs> David. Oh, boy. All right. Um Yeah, I, I I don't care enough to keep looking for this. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I, this has been such a disappointment. Yeah, and Robinson has more Wonder Woman to come and Superman. Right. So I hope. I don't know. I hope I hope they're good, but Wonder Woman's not been inspiring. No. I mean, to be fair, all Zach wants is more New Krypton. And I feel like the one guy whom I give him that is James Robinson. That's what I want. I want new Krypton. Yeah. New Krypton. Krypton. <laughs> Somehow mine always comes out Scott. <laughs> <laughs> new Krypton. <laughs> bon Sarah, bon Sarah. We're, we're going to go with new Krypton. <laughs> oh, man. We're going to make the science council. And I can't do it. Fuck it. I'm done. <laughs> Done. No, that was good. No, it wasn't. It was terrible. <laughs> he was going to make the science council an offer they couldn't refuse. In case, you, in case you, you weren't sure where that joke was going to go, we got we got where you were just making just just making sure there. So, all right, folks, that does it for this installment of the DC Three Cast. Thank you for listening. Next week is a, a fifth Wednesday of the month, which means it's a little bit of a different uh, series of books. It's a bunch of annuals, uh, an Aquaman annual, a Batman annual. Etc. Should, t- should we do a top ten? Uh we can do a top ten. Sure. Yeah, we can do our top ten books of rebirth. Uh, at the moment, that'll be fun. Uh, are we counting Young Animal or no? Ooh, that's I don't always... think we have in the past, but I wouldn't be opposed. I don't know. Why? Well, I... You know what? Yeah, I like that, Zach. Let's do it just so that it kind of shakes our lists up too. Yeah. I think. My... When was the last time we did a top ten? It has been a while. I think it was back in May. I think it was at the one-year mark. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Remember how we all had Trinity in our top ten initially after one issue? Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> presumptuous as a bus. We were so young. 
We were so silly. It's a different time. Yeah. Uh, man. Well, anyway, until then, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. <laughs> I'm at SirFox89. It's really weird that Jorel has the same Twitter handle as Vince. Because that was but, certainly Marlon Brando uh, jumping into our show there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. You do not come to me in friendship, Zod. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it loopy.